about this podcast, we're going to have to be mindful of the living force. We're not going to think. We have to feel our way through this one. But here we are, back again. Another exciting episode of The Devil's Do, diving deep into a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And Drew, even though Obi-Wan said in episode four new hope before the dark times before the empire one can make a very strong argument that we're about to enter the dark times here <laughs> um me more than you i think from from a certain point of view yes, to be yes. Sure. but before we get to the howling wailing and gnashing of teeth uh let us let us catch up sir how how have your weeks been same as always. It's day day again here on Earth. It's it is day day. <laughs> there we go. There's it's, the you're drinking out of a can this week, are we? Um, I I don't discriminate against cans. I'm pouring into a glass right now. Did you did you opt for the can because of the sound effect or because of the actual uh, beverage itself? The beverage itself is in a can. Okay. Gotcha. So, yep, 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 yep. Ah, yeah, it's been it's been a week. It's been a week. Uh, I've had a uh, stressful week at work, but uh, that aside, everything's pretty cool. The weather cooperated somewhat the last couple of days anyway, and we got to take the dude out for a little walk uh, with his little trike and stuff, and uh, that was, no, that's fun. Just to get outside is... Uh, a welcome distraction but um you know not not too much else uh occurring um as you might imagine in a quarantine state um i i'm not i'm gonna walk back a statement from last episode and i'm okay. so like i don't i don't hate doom eternal I just don't love it either. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, right. I, I have gotten to the last level now, and I have not played it yet because they warn you, like, you know, if you go here now, like, you can't go back, so go back and do whatever you want to do um, otherwise. So I'm going back through the old levels, the previous levels, I should say, or whatever, um, and getting secrets and items and stuff that i missed now the thing is now all my weapons are pretty heavily powered up um i have twice as much health as i had when i you know when you first start the game i have twice as much armor available to me as when i first start the game more ammo etc i'm basically you know pretty highly leveled up and i am basically unstoppable and breezing through the first few levels that frustrated okay. me so badly the first time around and is it a byproduct of me getting better at the game yeah but it's also a, a byproduct of just being ridiculously overpowered to where now i can just stomp through this stuff which points out the odd uh difficulty curve this game has and it's i you know now that it's you know air quotes easier it is cathartically fun i must admit but yeah uh the, the I, joyous I, sense of going back and just trouncing on enemies that gave you so much 
heartache and grief sure. the first time around. Sure. There's something therapeutic to be said there. But it it I you know, the thing is is like there is still the frustration factor that twenty sixteen never gave me. Um I, I, I can't I don't know. I just can't explain it. And uh, so I'll, I'll walk back and say that I don't I don't hate Doom Eternal, but I if you were to ask me which is the better game, uh, it is hands down Doom 2016, and not just for the there's a lot of reasons why, not just the difficulty and the um, some of my previous gripes with it. There, there's there's tonal differences that 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 irk me with with Eternal as well. Um, a friend of mine basically said they turned it into a cartoon, and that's actually a a pretty good summary of what they did to doom eternal not that there's any like seriousness to the affairs in the other games but eternal definitely steers into almost like parody um and once you kind of notice it you kind of it becomes a little cringy like you kind of go like oh okay like they're a little too self-aware yeah you know you gotta it's in any art form you you kind of have to walk that line of you know how far is too far in either direction and i think eternal steered a little too hard into the meta um memes and and self-awareness of it all and it's just a little cringy but anyway yeah i so i'm I'm walking back my hatred i don't hate it i just don't love it gotcha gotcha yeah yeah how was how the, the crossing of the animals on Animal. the other end of the street? Joyous, <laughs> always. Um, I uh, finally got my KK Slider concert last uh, weekend. So What? Yeah. What about the Ku Klux Klan? No, KK Slider. That, this, the, only two Ks, Carl. <laughs> the, uh, the three Ks are busy um, storming uh, uh, government um, buildings now. Yeah. but but i digress um so kk slider is a musician he's the he's the little white dog with the guitar and he he, he comes to your town and plays music and he's super cool and um when you when you get him in animal crossing the new horizons or whatever it's called um you basically have unlocked the full set of functionality basically that the game has to offer so when you do that, your town your your town is officially like air quotes made it in the big time. Like people people care about your town now, want to come and visit and see it. You're you're a, you're a happening place, and um, you get the ability after that to uh, terraform your island, so you can uh, build and demolish cliffs, um, and you can build and demolish um, waterways. Uh, you you basically have full control over the terrain. And you, at that point, you're you're you are free to customize your 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 place as you see fit. So, I've been sparingly um, doing some things. I haven't done a ton of uh, terraforming, to be honest. You also get the ability to uh, lay paths, like sidewalks and and you know wood wood pathing, stone pathing, etc. So, I'm making my town and my island look a little more grid like, a little more. I'm just I'm laying things out better, and it's actually. Uh, it's it's great. It's just it's fun to design uh your village to be exactly the way you want it. So yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. I'm enjoying right. it. I'm enjoying it very much. I have been um observing the 
the daily stock reports <laughs> between you and Alan. And that's S-T-A-L-K, as, they, as it is spelled in the uh, Animal Crossing terms, the stock market. <laughs> yeah, and then in regards to the, the turnip prices. Turnips, yes, the, the uh, Animal Crossing uh, stock market. Is that the only thing that you really sell? Is just turnips or whatnot? Any no, any item you craft or or get can be bought and sold. You buy and sell, you know, anything: couches, kitchen stuff, clothing, beds. Just you know, anything you can you can sell anything. Um, if, the fish you catch, you can sell. The bugs you catch, you can sell, etc. Uh, but the stock market is, you know. It's a stock market, and it's a gamble, because you can only buy them on one day of the week. You can only buy them on Sunday. You cannot sell them on Sunday. And if you do not sell them the following Sunday, they go bad and cannot be sold. So basically, you have one week to you know roll the dice and see if the price, you, price goes up or price goes down. So you buy them at X price, and then you hope that sometime during the week, uh, that price is... They're buying them back higher than what you paid, and then you sell them. Um, fortunately, with the online, um, you'd be amazed, Carl. If I showed you the uh, the com- the online community behind Animal Crossing is like insane. Um, there are entire websites devoted to stock prices on on people's islands, and like people barter to allow people onto their islands to sell, and, and like it's it's wild, man. There, it's it's a whole like economy unto itself but um alan's my hookup if i I just check with him i don't have a whole network of people i do this with so um if if his his prices are good and mine are bad i'll go sell at his island likewise he's welcome at mine to sell his if his prices are bad and mine are good so um yeah you know i don't get too greedy some people like are super greedy and they you know if they're it's just like anything else, you know. The stock, could, the the prices could be really good, but people will be like, "Nope, we can do better." And say, okay, well, you better hope so, otherwise you're gonna eat those losses. But hey, it's it's a risk, and uh, you know you you play that you 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 play the game, and sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. What what would um, constitute a a good sale price. What's like? What's oh. your average that you want to get at? Um, I mean, generally, at least in the in the few weeks that uh, I've been I've been doing it, the um, the usual buying price on Sundays are somewhere around 90, 90 to ninety five ish bells. Bells is the in game currency, so you know ninety five bucks. Let's call it that, right? Ninety five bells to buy, and then uh, they can get up to like 180 bells during the week to sell them. Um, Although sometimes, you know, rarely it'll get even higher and that's what people really look out for. So um, anywhere in there, but then, uh, you know, I've bought them for 95 and then for the next three days, they're below 60, you know, and you just gotta, you just gotta ride it out. Alrighty. Just like the real thing. (laughs) Yes. Sounds so don't, so exciting. Yeah, warning to everyone, uh, don't look at your stock statement your real life stock statements right now. <laughs> you won't be happy. So All right, so that's 
pretty much it for your week then just the uh the dooms and the crossings well that and uh the 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 big the elephant in the room which uh we'll, we'll talk about uh later on but yeah that's it all righty cool so i'm having kind of like a similar experience with star wars that you're having with uh doom interesting uh, the jedi fallen order oh uh when we last met i just i just uh purchased it just started it and it was really hard like you know i come across more than one stormtrooper i'm like oh this is gonna be a slog um but as i i'm starting to really really enjoy it because so like something with the batman arkham games for example Mm -hmm. um games are fantastic and the combat is great you really do feel like batman in the combat but you can like you can kind of fiddle around with the combat for like say 10 minutes or so to get really proficient in it and be good enough to kind of make your way through the game. Anything after that, as far as what you end up doing, you know, you're, you're just kind of going for style points. Um, like the, towards the end of the last, uh, Batman game, uh, Arkham Knight for, for PS4. Like I was, you know, throwing smoke pellets into crowds of thugs and jumping down right in between them and just taking them all out before the smoke clears. And that's great. You really do feel like Batman doing stuff like that with Jedi fallen order. The learning, the combat and getting proficient in the combat to a point where you are not trying to circumvent, uh, fights is, is a definitely much more involved process Hmm. and much more rewarding once you start to gain proficiency in it. And like, I got to a point where I unlocked the double edged lightsaber, the, the double sided lightsaber. And it's cool because you can switch between the two. Hmm. Got one hilt that's like kind of a longer pommel, and you can use it as a single blade or you can use it as the dual blade. And the dual blade is um, weaker attack, but more beneficial for multiple enemies. And so it's as as learning and the design of this game. I'm really coming to love because the game knows kind of when to ratchet up the difficulty you know the it'll throw like you know two stormtroopers at you here as soon as you get proficient and deflecting blaster shots back at the stormtroopers you know then they're going to throw in some biker scouts with the the riot batons Mm. um you know the end battle of i was i just left kashyyyk and I was helping Saw Gerrera there in the end battle there. Like, I had to fight, you know, flame troopers, uh, two Imperial Enforcer droids, which are like the K2SO droids. Those things are a pain in the butt. And then, you know, I had to finish it off with fighting an ATS. Wow. You know, 
it's not fun the first time you do it. You're like, oh, cool, I've got to fight an ATSD. And then you realize, oh, crap, I've got to fight an ATSD <laughs> by myself. So what um, you're saying is the Mandalorian depiction was pretty accurate. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> you, you're feeling good in that, like, you're force-pushing a lot of its, like, armaments back at it. Mm-hmm. And then you run out of force, and you're like, oh, well, now we got to get down and dirty. Um, but no, it's it, the experience is becoming very enjoyable. Um, the story is unfolding. It's keeping me interested. Um, I have noticed that like, the, the character model graphical quality fluctuates mm. at times, and it, come, it goes from very, very good to like it's distracting me how like something's off with it. Um, but other than that, the, that experience has been going very well. I very much enjoy it and would recommend it. Um, but it just was it yesterday or day before they came out. So it was, yeah, it was yesterday. Yesterday, uh, Streets of Rage 4 hits uh, online marketplaces. You can get it for uh, Steam, PlayStation 4, I believe, Xbox One. And also Switch. Mm-hmm. And I picked up a copy on Switch and oh, Drew. <laughs> yeah. I hear it's great. This game is so fantastic. Um, it is visually beautiful. The art style is, is incredible. Um, it is animated so smoothly and so well done. Uh, the the uh, combat system is very intuitive and very open for creativity. All right. Um, I've got five characters so far in the game, and they all have a very, like, their own kind of distinct style. Uh, but there is, it's not just like punch, punch, kick, punch, punch, kick, grab. Like, you can, there's enough options within that to kind of, style and you know get bigger damage combos and it's it's a lot of fun so far um alan said that he had uh, read some reviews where the complaints were the soundtrack um i don't have any of those complaints right now hmm. uh the i've noticed that the soundtrack is trying to emulate um scenes that it might be paying homage to okay like for example uh right now i'm in the chinatown stage of the game and the music if you listen to it is very uh very uh kind of wink and nod to the original uh ninja turtles score from the first live action movie oh okay and it's Really cool, and there's, like, just cool things. There, Drew, Drew, there's an Orange Cassidy thug. Uh, I, I, I saw, I've seen a picture of this. <laughs> like, dude just walks around with his hands in his pockets and does kicks. <laughs> and and I just, I saw that, and I popped. I was like, are you kidding me? There's an Orange <laughs> Cassidy thug in this game? That is great. Uh, <laughs> but it is crazy amounts of the fun. Mm-hmm. Um so I would definitely recommend uh, that you pick it up because I know 
I know even though Streets Rage never really your thing. Well, the Sega Factor. But I also know that you love uh, brawlers. I do like I do like a good brawler. And this is probably the best one to come out in a long, long time. Hmm. As 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 much as it it pains me to say it, as much as it pains you to hear it, um, back in the day, Streets Rage to me was always better than Double Dragon. Hmm. It just it just did more with the formula. Sure. Uh, the the play control was better. the The visuals were better. The music was better. Um, except for the theme. I, I mean, Double Dragon theme is just fantastic, and uh, it's hard to beat that. But uh, but yeah, it's very like it's it's really cool for twenty five bucks. I mean, that is not a bad price at all. Is it pixel art or is it uh, like hand drawn? You can unlock uh, pixel art uh, filters as okay. you play. There's a lot to unlock in the game, but right now it's predominantly hand-drawn art, and it just looks fantastic. Like I, I know your love of pixel art, and I love pixel art too. But like this game just looks so good. Cool. That like I would probably put the pixel art on for a little bit, just kind of try it out. And then go back to uh, the the original uh, the original look of the game. All right, I'll check it I out. That, I think that's pretty much it. I mean, as far as my week goes, um, oh, I watched I watched John Wick. Oh yeah, the first one. yeah. I never seen it before. I've only seen like parts of it. It was great. That's what I it hear. Was, it, it was good. I definitely want to watch the the second and third one. I can get behind a man who goes that nuts after someone kills his dog. Absolutely. Who wouldn't? I mean, I, I, that's, that's, I that's a man after my own heart. <laughs> so I mean, it's it might be the the peak Keanu. We are living uh, in a bit of a Keanu Renaissance right now. So the Keanu uh is is a real thing. And I welcome it. Just wait till Bill and Ted comes out. Yeah. Oh, I'm I'm all in for that, man. Come on. I'm I'm hoping it's good. I have faith. I'm, I'm hoping it's good. I um, I got a good feeling. All right. So yeah, I think I'm trying to think what else my week. I'm probably forgetting something because, like you mentioned, all those are just kind of bleeding together. There's not much uh, else going on, man. Everything the world's kind really of the world's kind of on pause, dude. Like, I mean, there's yeah. there's some you know fun little. I mean, if you want to talk about news, there's 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 some. Uh, you know, I don't know. DC is 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 trying to get around Diamond, and then I, I like I I don't know what's happening with we, comics, we, dude. Comics we, are probably are probably dead in the water. I have no idea. <laughs> we've got a couple of news things we can go over. Um, All right, but before that, yes, uh, dear listeners, we've told you about our weeks. We would like to hear from you about your weeks. Any questions you might have for the show? Um, any comments you might have that we can read on our episodes? Tell us how if you're holding you, up, man. <laughs> Yeah, tell us how you're holding up. Tell us how you're uh, staying sane throughout this uh, quarantine. 
if you would like to reach out to our show, you can do so at the following social media locations. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, follow us at Devil's Do Pod. You can go to Facebook.com slash Devil's Do Pod. Like our page. You can email us at the Devil's Do Pod at gmail.com. Or you can find all these resources available to you on our website, thedevilsdopodcast.com. Drew, that being said, we do have some questions. All right. So starting out, we have a question on our post uh, from the other night yes. where you were posting that you were watching uh, The Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. And we had a question on that post from Mr. Kyle Ailinger. Uh, Phantom Menace is boring and confusing. Rise of Skywalker is overloaded with mini missions that are not needed and confusing. Which do you prefer, the overly heavy political setup or empty, drawn-out action at the finale? Loaded question, I know, but an interesting contrast. <laughs> um, that's what we call a straw man argument, but um, I, I, I do appreciate the parallel that he's, that he's drawing there. Uh, give me... Um, Rise of Skywalker, I guess. Even though um, I wouldn't say that I'm a huge fan of Rise of Skywalker, uh, it doesn't have the same level of... Uh, <laughs> it, it's it's watchable, whereas The Phantom Menace is not. <laughs> we'll get into that later. <laughs> um, but yeah, so- that's, that's, my, that's the gist of it. And spoilers for the news, we're going to get to revisit Rise of Skywalker a lot sooner than we thought we would. Uh, Thank you, Kyle, for your question. Moving on to the Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan of the Devil's Due podcast. Mr. J. Gelsomino, Mr. Alan Waiters, starting with Mr. Uh, J. Gelsomino. Drew and Carl, seeing as how Drew has been kicked in the groin six ways from Sunday (laughs) with Doom Eternal. Oh, with with Doom Eternal, uh, yeah, yeah. What's one game each of you has looked most forward to, and then left, and then felt whacked, and the, then left, then feeling whacked in the nether regions? Mm. Well, so game game we most looked forward to that was disappointing. Do you want to go first here, or I I can go first. I've got one that springs to mind. Okay. Um, and this probably is should be no shock to anyone. Uh, the remember back in the PlayStation Two days when we got the Spider Man Two game. Yes, and it was freaking fantastic. Yes. it was everything you wanted a Spider Man game to be at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, Drew, not completely unlike the movie. And then we got Spider Man Three. Ah, and that game I was so excited for. Because, like, it was going to be Spider-Man 2, but with more stuff to do. Um, And it was not. It was horrible. It was, I would argue, a completely unfinished game. Rushed out to meet a deadline. And just... And I'm sure... That's a that's a bummer because it's you know not not just a follow up to a, a great game but for you personally Spider Man you know you hate to see Spidey let you down yeah and he did in that one <laughs> um, I've got I've got probably several to be honest with you um, 
Where to begin? Oh boy. Um, just the the ones that immediately spring to mind. Um, wow, I'm drawing a blank all of a sudden. Oh, I had it. And now they're all they're all vanishing from my view. I mean, Eternal is uh, an obvious one. Um, Super Monkey Ball Banana Blitz. I know what you're thinking. What? Super Monkey Ball Banana Blitz? Who cares about Super Monkey Ball? Well, sir, I cared about Super Monkey Ball because 1 and 2 on the GameCube were fantastic games. Super Monkey Ball is awesome. Those games were great. Um, the multiplayer air combat mode. Our friends and I used to play that all the time. The bowling and all that stuff. and the, 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 the tar- oh, Yeah, man. I know. The target uh, uh, practice and all that. And then Banana Blitz came out. I think that was the one on Wii, correct? Sure. Uh, yep, that's the one. Unfortunately, Carl, we were in the era of the Wii, and while the Wii um, has a lot of great games, um, some of them, unfortunately, were not so great. And in fact, a lot of them weren't. So the, shovel- the shovelware factor was high. But this game in particular, um, they took a great game, a great franchise, and they ruined it by tacking in the motion controls, which were not up to snuff at all. And it made the game nigh unplayable. And that's a real shame because uh, Super Monkey Ball 1 and 2, again, were just so much fun. Banana Blitz was not. So that's a huge bummer. Um, I, I can't say that this is a game that I was looking forward to, but it is one that um, I had a strong emotional reaction to, and that was Final Fantasy IX. Uh, I really enjoyed Final Fantasy IX. I, 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 I was not a fan of eight, and I'll be honest, I think seven is grotesquely overrated. I, I enjoy it, but my God, the cult of that it's created is just overwhelming, and I, I can't deal. But in any case, that's another story. Nine, I really dug. I played it, and I was like, wow, hey, I, I really like this game. This is a great Final Fantasy game. I'm really enjoying this. And then you get to a point on disc three, I believe, and basically the whole plot, which has been pretty tight and, and you know, um, really drew you in and you felt like, okay, I, 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 know, I, I, I know who my antagonist is and we're going to go on this chase and we're going to do the thing and I know the story and then they pull a complete deus ex machina rabbit out of a hat and change the whole story and everything you thought you knew was a lie. And I am the real bad guy behind the scenes. Ha ha. Like total out of, out of nowhere. And it was like, Oh, I'm done. I'm not going to lie, Carl. I turned the game off and I never turned it back on. (laughs) So that was final fantasy nine. Um, similarly, although this, though, this was probably more akin to Jay's question games that you were looking forward to and then wound up wound up being greatly disappointed in um metal gear solid 2 sons of liberty um oh we all love that tanker demo we played the tanker demo for days we it was amazing we we were all about oh my god this game's gonna be incredible i can't wait for this game to come out and it comes out and you do the tanker level then the tanker level ends and then you find out there's more. There's you know a whole game that you haven't played yet because the tanker level was the demo. Okay, here we go. Metal Gear Solid Two. Here we go. Why? Why am I an effeminate blonde-haired dude who is clearly not Solid Snake? What is happening? And and then you spend the whole game not being able to play a Solid Snake, and then you uh, 
get to like near the end of the game and the whole story goes it completely insane uh to the point where your brain just can't comprehend what it is taking in and i'm not gonna lie my initial reaction to that was like well this sucks (laughs) and i'm done with this franchise (laughs) and uh i largely was at that point funny thing about that i have read um retrospectives on metal gear solid 2 and carl you know me I am a uh, Grant Morrison acolyte, as you as you know. I love me yeah. some. I love me some metafiction. I I love um, you know deeper meanings. I love you know the real inside baseball kind of stuff. And uh, I have seen breakdowns and analysis of Metal Gear Solid too. And when I read those, and, and when I you know see what was actually going on in Metal Gear Solid 2 and what the intention of the of Kojima was with Metal Gear Solid 2 I'm not going to lie I like it a lot on paper in fact I think it's brilliant unfortunately um it it just wasn't a fun experience to play and there was kind of the problem I think uh games at their at their core still need to have a fun factor in them and Metal Gear Solid 2 like pulled the rug out from under me and i didn't have fun now maybe i'd have more fun now knowing what is happening in the game and appreciating the the meta aspect of it all but um at the time i i wasn't there yet i wasn't fully indoctrinated into the meta text um i wasn't a morrisonian just yet so at the time that was a huge disappointment for me um let me think any other games that really Bum me out. Big disappointments. I think those are the big, the biggest ones that I can think of off the top of my head. Alrighty. Yeah. So, Drew. Uh huh. What What's a couple of the NJPW dream matches Ooh. you would have liked to see from guys who worked there, past and present? Like an example, say Tanahashi versus Vader. <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, with the benefit of hindsight, if we could have gotten a Lance Archer and his current incarnation versus Vader, that would have been a hoss, a hoss fight for the ages. Um, Ishii versus Vader, that would be, that would, wow, I'm, I'm kind of digging this Vader vibe right now. <laughs> um, Shinsuke Nakamura had, the, uh, Shinsuke Nakamura the, had more to give, if you ask me. Um, and I, I would have loved to have seen him. I, I mean, God, I, it's it saddens me to think that when I got into NJPW, his time was almost up, and what what a bummer! Because I mean, yeah, and so yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Um, like Kenny Omega and Shinsuke Nakamura, could I? Yeah, I would have loved to have seen that in a in a main event caliber match, uh, but we'll never get it. So, um, that's a that's a crazy hypothetical question. I don't know. Uh, Shibata. Uh, God, there's there's a what if Shibata on top, Shibata as champ, Shibata in the in the mix to be champ would would be, would be amazing. But unfortunately, he quite literally broke his brain, <laughs> so he can't go anymore. He's uh, you know, he's still alive and he's he's a trainer now for the LA Dojo, and that's fantastic. But my God, do I miss Shibata? Um, wow, that that's such a deep question, Jay. We could talk about that. Ed, no, we could talk about that for a long time on a potential wrestling uh, podcast that will never happen. 
<laughs> so when when he says Vader, would that be the Vader of the big van variety? That's the one, man. He was he was the man in Japan, dude. Like, and that, see, the thing is, at that that era of Japanese wrestling was peak strong style those guys were beating the crap out of each other um right up and right up through like the early 2000s and you know even now their style is is very very physical but it used to be more so if you can believe that like you know there's a lot more uh high spot oriented kind of stuff now with you know your your big flips and, and whatnot but believe it or not a lot of that stuff is fairly safe what isn't so safe is when you know guys literally were just kicking the crap out of each other i mean was it a worked match yeah but i mean these guys would take bumps on their heads and necks like like it was nothing to the point where you know one of them died of internal decapitation in the ring because he just took so many that he did it until he died literally um so Vader being a gigantic man, <laughs> uh, yeah, he was there in an era when guys were stiffing the crap out of each other in a very famous match with, uh, I believe it was Stan Hansen. Um, dude, Vader's eye got knocked out <laughs> for real. He put it back in and they finished the match. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it, it's just like... Vader was a was a was a gaijin monster in Japan. You know, but, uh, so you, you know in um oh what game was it? Is is it World World of uh, uh um World Heroes? Is that the SNK game? Yes. Um, the fighting game. Yes, the uh, the SNK fighting game. Uh, is it World Heroes? I'm thinking of. There's a character in one of those games. Uh that is it's vader dude it is vader uh i'm trying to find it i'm, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to remember uh, i've got the game on an snk collection for my ps3 I can, well, hang on i'm pulling it up I, I, I will find it i will find it uh vader who was he? He, I mean, dude. Like, if I showed, if I showed you this picture, you, you, who, who did they base him on? Uh, man, hang on, I'm going to his Wikipedia page. Fatal Fury. I'm sorry. Also, SNK. I apologize. Uh, the character uh, Raiden, also known as Big Bear. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, Vader. it's Vader. It's yep. Vader. <laughs> it is Vader. <laughs> straight up yeah so anyway no, I, I, I can see it now um anyway uh wow well, yeah what a great question njpw man the, the legacy is just so strong they're they're ah oh, i love i love new japan i miss new japan my god yeah. We're, we're getting, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting my, my wrestling every week with AEW, and they're doing a good job, all things considered. I don't know that they need to be doing a weekly show, but, you know, hey, it is what it is, so I'm going to enjoy it while it's on. And uh, but, my, but there's a huge hole in my heart that belongs to 
New Japan Pro Wrestling, and it's just not there right now. Such a bummer. All right, so moving on to Jay's question for me, Carl, what would you say your favorite video game world environment is? <sighs> favorite video game world? You think I would have thought of it now? You know what? I'm just, you know, given streets. So many things happen in the streets in, in the <laughs> video game world. Pick your video game world. But the streets, man, they, they're they a, a powder keg just ready to explode. You don't know what's going to happen next. You don't know if you're going to have to take on a gang of thugs who've stolen your girlfriend. You don't know if you're going to have to fight a gigantic Russian wrestler who's going to grab you and put you into a spinning pile driver. You don't know. <laughs> you don't know what's underneath that manhole cover. Or if it's like Pizza Monsters or the Rat King riding like a you know, tricked out Cobra water moccasin. You don't know. Just give me the streets, man. I'll, I'll have fun there. <laughs> Okay, and you get to travel the world. Gigantic toads jumping out of dark alleys, hitting you with massively oversized boots. Just, you don't know. Mm. It's great. Streets, man. Got to dig it. Wow. All right. There's a lot, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> <laughs> on to Mr. Alan Waiters. Gentlemen, hope you are doing well. Miss our game nights. Me Definitely. too. Me too. Really miss our game nights. Just, just um, face-to-face, my God, I miss you guys. <laughs> yeah. Carl and Drew, would it be possible that Jar Jar Binks makes a cameo in a future episode of The Mandalorian, but done well by John Favreau? No. Um, no, it's not <laughs> possible. No. Only because the, the fate of the character is already in canon. Like, he ends up just like a, a street performer that people laugh at. Is that like, is that Disney canon? That's, yeah, Disney canon. All right. That would that was in one of the uh, happened in one of the novelizations, uh, filling in the gaps between films and whatnot. So, um, so, so yeah, it's just like a he's a he's a street performer that people laugh at and don't take seriously, and like there are rumors that he conspired with the Empire and things like that. It's not it's not incorrect. So he died penniless on the street. Pretty much. Oh well, good. Pretty much. Good. Uh, <laughs> good. <laughs> Carl, is Streets of Rage the best beat 'em up, especially with arguably one of the best game soundtracks? Um, it's good. Is it the best? Uh, there's a lot of beat 'em ups that I have been that have come out in recent years. Um, so I would say it's the best that I have played. Probably in the past 20 years. Easily. Hmm. Um, is it the best all time? I, I don't have the knowledge to get that the answer it deserves. Um, Carl, what other Sega games would you like to be remade on the Switch? Uh, Sega's recent success with Street Rage 4, Sonic Mania. I think you're playing kind of fast and loose with the term success when it comes to Sonic Mania there, Alan. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And Panzer Dragoon. Um, they don't I'm have a deep that, well, man. <laughs> they they do have a deep well, if you know where to look. I, I guess. Um, there, there have been some remakes of some truly great games. 
this obviously Streets of Rage. The Toe Jam and Earl remake was fantastic. Hmm. I loved the original. Played it like crazy in college. Um, yeah, the, that remake was good. Panzer Dragoon was a fantastic game on the Saturn that the remake came out. Um, and I'll probably pick that up when it goes on sale. Trying to think of, there was a there was a game that was sold with the uh, the four player tap that they came out with with Genesis uh, called General Chaos, and it was by no means a widely known game, but it was incredibly fun. Um, definitely would like to see a remake of that. I'm trying to think what else. Um, that's some like shinobi i know they've done shinobi kind of a couple times since then but like a really good remake of that would be nice they did when playstation 4 first came out they did the the strider remake and that was fantastic um but yeah general chaos uh maybe some cyberball that'd be great uh shinobi general chaos cyberball i could, I could get behind those um and, you know, maybe Comic Zone. Comic Zone was never my thing. It was like, right, it came out right the tail end of the system's lifespan. I never really got into it. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, those would be uh, my choices. I want an Echo uh, the Dolphin remake. <laughs> and I want, I want an Echo the Dolphin remake crossed over with Michael Keaton's Multiplicity. <laughs> greatest game ever and i want michael keaton's number three to eat the dolphin <laughs> the climax of the game if you get that joke um, you're, you're, you're good people, you're good people. <laughs> <laughs> true yes i recently watched x-men uh 2000 and it's still pretty good after 20 years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When the MCU remakes the X-Men, uh, when the MCU remakes the X-Men, should focus be tension between humans or have Baddie not yet seen yet be the focus like Mr. Sinister? Ooh. I, I don't know yet. I, like, because, I mean, ultimately, I still don't fully know how they're going to bring the X-Men into the MCU. Like, what in what context would they fit? Now, you've all... I mean, it's... In a way, it's already been difficult to, to kind of jibe with the idea that we've got Spider-Man and Captain America and, and Hulk and She-Hulk and the Avengers superheroes. You know, characters with powers and abilities beyond, you know, human beings and they're celebrated. They're, they're heroes. The X-Men are people with powers and they are, you know, demonized because reasons, because I I don't know that it's, it's always been an odd dichotomy in the, in the Marvel universe, even in comics. Um, now in the, in the movies, yeah, it's gonna. Be, I think it's gonna be even t- harder of a sell because, again, like we have the Avengers and they've saved the world um, twice over. You know how many times over in the in the MCU, 
like and now if we have other people with powers we're gonna we're gonna chastise them like it's 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 a tough sell so i don't know how it's gonna work just yet so if you don't have that groundwork laid as to why people would hate people with powers like that then making the x-men's big enemy the uh you know humans versus mutants or whatever it, it doesn't doesn't seem right just yet so you might want to you know have maybe you introduce them by having a a villain behind the scenes uh mr sinister or you know who whoever be the orchestrator of such a distrustful relationship between human and mutant you could you could show that divide happening you know in the movie and go from there that might be an interesting way to go All right. Uh, there's, there's one more here for you. Drew, why are Nintendo first-party games so much better than other platforms? Don't pander, Alan. <laughs> I mean, look, uh, look. It's it sounds like a fanboy question, and it and look, it, Nintendo fanboys like myself are always going to be biased. But I will. But I. But even in my most objective, like you know, my, even at my most, I'm going to be very objective and just tell you. There is a level of polish and shine and internal cohesion that I can't quite quantify to you, but you know it when you play a Nintendo game. It's it just it's just there. It just feels right. It just clicks. Uh, that other companies just don't seem to have, and I, it's it's hard to explain, but. The Nintendo difference is a real thing, and uh, you know, other games just don't—it it just don't have that. I, it's it's just so hard to explain. I think microcosm, there, microcosm. Uh, Sorry, before that to interrupt you, Carl, but a micro, like a microcosm. Um, when I fire up a game on a PlayStation or an Xbox or whatever nowadays, I have to sit through five company logo splash screens to get to a loading screen to get to a menu that allows me to get into the game, right? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. When I boot up a Nintendo game, I get the logo, I get the game logo screen, press start, and I'm in the game. Like, that's it. It's, it's that simple. Um, and if that sounds so silly, but like, it makes a difference. The presentation and, and the, Again, the cohesion of it just feels good and 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 seamless. It it just flows. It you, you, it's part of the, the experience is better. Um, that's a small thing, but that's one of the things that just makes me go like, ah, they care. They care about my time. They care about yeah. they care about how they're presenting this this experience to me, and that matters to me. Right. Yeah, that that was kind of one thing I was to say that with Nintendo, they're Nintendo games. Yes. With Sony and Microsoft, in ninety eight percent of the cases, they're outsourced games. Yeah, the third party. Like, so Sony has a studio, and it comes out with a game every once in a while. Um, but at the same time, like, it's just Nintendo. I'm going to say this, it's going to sound like it's a dig, but it's not. Nintendo games are built for Nintendo fans. Mm-hmm. And 
very easy to become a Nintendo fan. Um, Sony and Microsoft, air quotes, first party games are built for as a mass appeal as possible. And sometimes that's a benefit, sometimes that's a detriment. Whereas Nintendo just builds Nintendo games. They know their brand, they know their formula, and whereas they still will take risks and experiment, um, the risks and experimentation will never be super drastic, but at the same time be incredibly innovative within the brand and the formula. And that's not a bad thing at all. I think it's... um I know what you're saying, but I I think it's a little un not unfair, but they they target their games they they cater to their fans for sure. But but if that's the case, if that were the case that they only catered to their fans, that would not explain their their massive massive success. They they have a knack for marketing or not marketing just they have a knack for finding those to to make to making experiences that appeal to their fans but also appeal to people who may have never played a video game ever and somehow winning those people over at, yes at, I, no, I agree with that and and it's like i think ultimately at the core 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 of it all it just comes down to the fact that nintendo is games like period sony is games but sony is a record label and sony is a stereo manufacturer and a television manufacturer and you know a, a big multi multi-pronged corporate entity microsoft the same but nintendo man nintendo is games and they right. they are gonna go to their grave being being the guys who make games and girls and, and girls yeah <laughs> Yeah, and that's and that's a good thing. I and I also think like it's not it's not always necessarily a question of why are Nintendo games better because there's a lot of first party Sony and Microsoft games that are really good. Absolutely. And they're just they're just it's like it's, it's exact it's where you're at right now personally. You've got Animal Crossing and you've got Doom. Yes. Two games couldn't be further apart right. in what they are. And you know what? Some days you want beer. Some days you want like just straight whiskey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it, there's room for the all same, of it, man. It, there's different tastes. There's room for all of it, and it's it's all good. Yeah, peace so, and harmony, and, man. Yeah, um, Alan says be safe, and he is down twenty seven pounds. That is incredible. That's awesome. You'll be able to get our arms around him twice when we see that man again. Great job, Alan. Great job. So, all right, um, that does it for the emails and the questions. Thank you, everybody, who sent those in. So now, getting to a little bit of news, we've got some uh, some uh, Galaxy Far, Far Away-related news. Yeah. And as you know, Drew, I know you are not a fan of it. That's fine. Um, but as you know, uh, May the 4th is quickly approaching, and recent years, this has become like the nationally recognized uh, Star Wars Day. Uh, given how what our current social situation is, obviously this is not going to be able to be celebrated the way uh, most people normally would probably like to do. 
but Disney, understanding what's going on in the world, has said, "Okay, we'll give you we'll give you a couple things." Uh, first thing we're getting is we're getting uh, Rise of Skywalker on Disney Plus, according to Disney, two months early, which I believe because they usually tend to like the uh, the direct sale, you know digital and physical media to be out there a little longer before they put on streaming. Um, But again, given everything that's going on, they are kind of saying, here it is two months early. Enjoy it. That's coming out on May the 4th. Okay. Um, So yeah, cool stuff there. I do want to watch it again. I'll Um, I'll, I'll watch it again. I, yeah, I mean, obviously I have to for, for this show, but, uh, yeah, I'm probably going to watch it uh, when within a day or so when it hits, and then again when we get to the actual episode. Like, I want to watch again just to like catch what I missed the first time around, just because the pace is so exhausting. Yeah, I don't think you missed that much. <laughs> it um, is what it is. The the next thing we're getting, I'm really excited about, is we're getting like a documentary series on the making of the Mandalorian. Now that's 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 cool. Um, it also feel. Uh, is it? Am I being? Am I being a bit grumpy, Carl? Yes. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, when I say like, okay, it was it was a, it was popular. It was a hit. Of course. So of course we get this documentary about like is is it is it insisting upon itself a little too much? I think it depends how the documentary is done. I know this is just the way things are now, where like you know, content is 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 just you know bountiful, and they're gonna they're gonna give it to you one way or the other. But it's just kind of like, all right. I mean, yeah, I liked it. Do I do does it? It's like all these TV shows that like are oh this TV show has got a little buzz on it. Let we better have a hour long talk about it show after the after the fact. Like come on man, how how serious do you take yourself? Calm calm down. Like well, Drew Drew, do, do you remember what our show is kind of uh, born around? Yeah, but that's us do, do, doing it. You know we're fans, so I mean us doing it is one thing, but like. A network like, hey, stay tuned after the episode. We have an hour-long talk show with. Well, it's like, man, you're. You, I don't know. Like again, it's it's the. Uh, you gotta what did I what did I say with like, do maternal in a way. It's it's like you gotta walk a fine line between. There, there's a fine line that that you gotta tread. It's a, it's a razor edge sometimes, but. There there is such a thing as as too much. Um, well, look at it this way. They're essentially giving us a really good DVD special feature. Yeah, no, that's, that's cool. And, and again, like it, I could just be... That, yes, you could just be being crouched. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I, I'm In fact, I'm actually yeah. curious to see... Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to see some of it. I want to see... I want to see Favreau, to be honest with you. I just want to see like what he's got to say about his approach, what his vision was, and... I don't know. I could watch John Favre do just about. I watched that whole uh, the 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 chef show on Netflix. And it was awesome. So I've watched John, uh, I've watched John Favre cook, and I'm like, this is great. <laughs> yeah. Um. I want to see him. I want to see Taika Waititi talk about it. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're going to have cast interviews, which means we get to hear Carl Weathers talk about it, which, you know, yes. me up. Now you got a stew going. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's hitting on May the 4th. So I'm looking forward to those. Uh, also, there is, again, the world is rapidly changing around us. Um, and people are just, Try and do what they can to adjust and make make things better for other people. So, uh, Universal Studios, yeah, takes a, takes a movie uh, that was out in theaters for a very short time when lockdown started to happen. Uh, Trolls sixteen or whatever it is, um, and decides just to put it on video on demand. Uh, you know, reasons being twofold, you know, one parents, parents need something to shut their kids up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they do. Parents parents need something to shut their kids up. And you know what? You're probably regretting the decision on your 13th viewing of it in the same day, but at least the kids are being quiet for a little bit. Um, so there was kind of that factor to it. And then there was just like, Hey, you know, it costs a lot of money to make this movie. And we feel that at least would have made the money back. So we're kind of going to put it in a form in which it can still make some money. So, okay, fine. That's totally understandable. From my perspective, uh, AMC theaters drew and to a, to a certain extent, Regal cinemas, we're not too happy with that apparently because AMC theaters has banned uh, any further Universal Studio films from being shown in their theaters um, indefinitely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, this... and it was directly because of what Universal did with Trolls. Now, do I expect this ban to actually last? No. Right. Why? Because AMC likes to make money. Know what Universal Studio has, Drew? They've got Fast and the Furious. And say yeah. what you will about those films. They make money. They make, they make money. a lot of money. And not only that, a bunch of other stuff that makes a lot of money. Well, you're right. I, I this is a this is a this is a pretty crazy story to be honest, Carl. This is like a peek into the future. I, I don't think I like it. I mean, I love going to the theater. It's one of my favorite things to do. I love being in that public viewing with people. Uh, when, especially when it's a movie like for perfect example, and we saw this uh, being uh, tossed around on Twitter. Recently, we just passed the one-year anniversary of Avengers Endgame. Dude, I was and just gonna—I was if, just gonna say that. Yeah, if you were in a theater opening night for Avengers Endgame, and those moments, you know, Cap with the hammer on your left, those moments that have been built up for over ten years, and you get to experience that joy, that moment that you're so excited and happy you can't help but stand up and cheer and you are not the only one in the theater doing that you don't get that in a home experience no you don't, you exactly just, you, you just, just don't don't and like i know I've, I've i hear people all the time saying how much they hate going to the theater they hate people on their phones and, and people talking and i, I like i get 
all those gripes. But like you just said, man, those shared moments are so it's it it's it's another level of experience. I mean, look, think of it this way: look at what empty arena wrestling shows look like. Yeah, and then think about and I know we all we all say it. Oh man, this would be so much better with a crowd. Yeah, of course it would be because it just adds to the experience, the 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 energy, the vibe, and not to mention in 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 the movie aspect, uh, the form factor. You know, I'm sorry, like you might have the the most beautiful television on the planet and a great stereo setup and yada yada, but for me, man, the the movie, the big screen, the. the that's that's where it's at. That's that's cinema. Like that's how I want to watch a movie. Yeah, I mean, even what we're talking about in these recent episodes, Star Wars. Oh yeah. Is, Can you imagine of, just watching as, a new Star Wars movie at home by yourself or whatever? Yeah. As as much as I love watching the films at home, I mean, heck, my whole home entertainment system is built around Star Wars. Right. Everything else is, you know, if it looks, sounds good, great. Does Star Wars look and sound good? Um, and, you know, getting to experience that with my son and his reactions to it, that's great. But even, like, the films we're about to discuss, episode one, two, and three, even though we are not the biggest fans of those films, I'll still go and see them in a theater, given the opportunity, because I mean, it's that experience. You will. You know, but. it's that... <laughs> I know. It's that, you know, that clash in the beginning when the, the title card comes on the screen. Um, and just just fantastic experiences that you do not get in the in the home in a in a home setting. And I think like, you know, you know AMC has said the Universal's banned, Regal Cinemas has essentially said Universal Studios, uh, watch yourself. because uh, we might do the same even though they'd be stupid if they did the same. Because if AMC's not going to be showing these films, guess what? All those people who were going to go to an AMC theater to watch the film are now going to go to your theater to watch the film. Yeah. Um, well, so I the thing is, uh, this does open up a bit of a, a door, though. And I've been thinking about this a little bit. A little bit. Uh, just the way things seem to be going with... with movies and and movie makers and theater owners and whatnot the 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 studios have had a very um unfair leverage over the the theaters for a very long time and it's getting worse all the time like the studios are basically dictating to theaters the percentages they can make on the movies and and you know it's 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 pretty weird it's pretty it's you know whatever however with AMC now telling Universal to, you know, go pound salt, I wonder if we're going to enter an era of theater exclusivity or theaters being owned directly by um, the studios themselves. Now, I don't know if... Now, as I say that, I think they used to do that back in the day. Um, when I say back in the day, I mean, like... Uh, prior to the 50s or there i think this was actually a thing um and this might 
Yeah, uh, United States versus Paramount Pictures, 1948, was a landmark United States Supreme Court case, antitrust case, that decided the fate of film studios owning their own theaters. Aha! Yeah, so that, okay. That the Supreme Court affirmed, in this case, the existing distribution scheme was in violation of the United States antitrust law. So, there you go. Um, I wonder if that might get changed, <laughs> and, the, and, and studios could own theaters again. In fact, I could be wrong, but is this a thing? Yeah. Hey, Carl, look at that. The United States Department of Justice Antitrust Division began a review of antitrust decrees that did not have expiration dates. On November 18, 2019, the DOJ announced that it would seek to terminate the Paramount decrees, which would include a two-year sunset period as to the practices of block booking and circuit dealing, yada, yada. So it appears that the Trump White House is already trying to um, tear this down, which could lead to studios owning theaters again. Now, obviously, laws are in place where this can't happen, but I've been thinking about this, and it seems like other people have too, because here's the Trump White House, which clearly has no care in the world about antitrust law. Uh yeah, I, I wonder if we're kind of kind of on the road there, getting to, to making that happen again. Uh, I I don't think so because rich people like making money, and this way doesn't make them as much money. Uh, not yet. It easily could. I mean, I don't I don't necessarily see a path to that where they would want to put in the hassle for lack of a better term. It just depends on how you see the theater model. Um, given the, given that streaming seems to be the future, maybe it's not worth the trouble, but if Disney owns all the movie theaters in a region that means that the other movie studios don't own theaters in that region. Therefore, Disney's movies get shown and other companies' movies don't. So those dollars go to Disney and not to anyone else. But again, that assumes that the theater mo- uh, that assumes the theater model is viable going forward. And it might well, it may be increasingly not viable going forward. Right, yeah, I'm not saying it's not gonna happen. I just I don't foresee it happening um so yeah that's that's that seeds seeds Uh, are being planted carl we'll see how everything shakes out and last bit of news we have is comics are trying to get back to business as usual yeah but no Um, (laughs) yeah but uh, no a dc is redistributing their books, I believe, through a different distributor. And Marvel announced just today that their line will resume at the end of May. It, yes, but they have also like terminated half their workforce, both companies. So you have half as many talents working for you. So that means what? Half your books are are what canceled, delayed indefinitely. What what's what what does what does it look like going forward? What are you what are you publishing? I, Do we know? I, listen, I don't want anyone to lose their jobs. No, me neither. But as we have said on the show numerous times, 
one of the key problems with the industry today is there's just too much product on the shelf. And if this can kind of cull the herd Mm. as far as titles go and force companies to increase quality over quantity, then is it unfortunate that some people lose their job? Yes, absolutely. I wish they didn't have to, but... As far as comics go, it might not be the worst thing in the world if both DC and Marvel have to drop a bunch of titles. We'll, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't know. We'll see how this all shakes out. I just I don't know what it's all going to look like yet. And I, I got to be honest, the, my interest level in comics in general has been waning for a while. And uh, it's going to take something big to get me back in the fold. And I, I don't know what that is exactly yet. So I, you know, I, I, I don't know. We'll see. I, I hope all I, all I can say is I hope the industry survives <laughs> that, that, that whether or not I'm invested in it is, is irrelevant. I just want it to survive. Right. Um, we'll see. I think, uh, I think it survives this, uh, event, but its long-term survival will be, I feel, dictated by the lessons that are learned from said event, if any. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I think that pretty much does it for the news, if there is anything else. No, that that's, can- no that's, that's really it. That's pretty much it. Okay, so, brings us to the heart of the matter. Ah, so we have completed uh, the first leg of our journey. We've gone through the classic trilogy. I think we've kind of pretty much stayed on point with what the goal of this anthology series is going to be. <sighs> uh, so things things are going to be a little bit different for this one, though. It's going to be kind of a different approach to it because, like with this one, we don't have for example, special editions to talk about. We just have initial releases, uh, one uh, re-release for episode one, and then just, uh, you know, kind of where these films sit now currently in in the fandom. Uh, It's going to be an exploration of that. But I feel like with this one, with Phantom Menace, uh, we have to start even before we were lining up to see the film. Um, I um, obviously, if you're, if you've been a star Wars fan for as long as I have, um, you, you know that, you know, during the, the non-active years, shall we call them? So, so from 1985 to 1997, um, anytime, Someone spoke to George Lucas. He always said, yes, I'm going to make episode one, two, and three. Uh, A lot of times he said, you know, I'm just waiting for the technology to catch up with what I want to do. He said that it is going to be the story of Anakin Skywalker and how he turned to the dark side. So, fine, great. Um, You know, the the Leonard Maltin interviews on the beginning of the THX editions of the 
of the original trilogy films were kind of legendary. Watched them a couple times in Fast Four, but he always kind of said in those they wanted to make the prequels. So we knew at some point more Star Wars was a possibility. Um, and then at you know, and this is before we have the internet in the form that we have it now, to where as soon as someone writes down the title of a film on a piece of paper, there are 16 Twitter posts reporting it. Uh, we, there were mag- we have magazines like, you know, back in the day, like Starlog, um, some fan magazines. I can't, was wizard mag? Yeah. Wizard magazine was around at this point. And these magazines are starting to say, okay, production is starting. And then we finally get um, the trailer. And I remember exactly where I was when I first saw the trailer. I was in college, in my dorm room, and I watched it on Entertainment Tonight. And I recorded it on my, my VCR, my all-in-one TV VCR combo, which was, which was just a necessity in college. Because <laughs> who, want, who wants to look around a TV and a VCR? This gives you the option of doing it both in one trip. Um, uh-huh. I recorded it, watched it over and over again, and that was kind of the 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 dawning of the second chapter of the Star Wars saga cinematically. Um, so before before we get to like even viewing the film, Drew, what was your early encounters with what would be Episode One? Ah. That's a tough one. I I feel like I'm. I don't remember. I don't remember the hype, as it were. I. I mean, I do. I do. But. I I just I don't have the the vision the the distinct nostalgic memory that you do of of all that leading up. I just I just don't for some reason. What I do remember. Um, I think I watched the trailer. It might have been on MTV, and I also watched it, you know, several times. Um, I think du- was Duel of the Fates in the trailer. They did a music video about a month after the trailer dropped. Okay, I remember that. So it kinda, I remember- so was kind of like a second trailer, but it was a music video of Duel of the Fates. Okay, I remember thinking that it's as cool. Like, this is awesome. But I also remember thinking it was it was odd that a Star Wars theme song would have vocals in it. <laughs> and to be honest with you, I still feel weird about that. Um, but anyway, that's just a little mu- music thing that was always curious to me. Uh, and I remember... Ultimately, I just remember opening night watching the movie and the plethora of emotions that befell me sitting there watching that movie and then leaving the theater talking myself into liking it and then I saw it in the theater I believe four more times trying to convince myself 
that I liked this movie. And it wasn't until a period after that, when I was honest with myself, that I knew I did not like this movie. <laughs> and that is that is the... the, the you know, right. if, so, you know, so, so okay, for, so you remember, you know, the question that Jay asked earlier about the video games, like, what is your, what's your biggest, like, disappointing follow-up or whatever? Right. I think for a, a lot of people, people our age, a generation even, th- this was a moment in, in, in our lives where we learned that something we love to death could not be what we wanted it to be and it could and could disappoint us so very badly and i think we did not know how to i i really it's almost like a generational trauma was inflicted on us and we didn't know quite how to react to it (laughs) and i and so much of star wars fandom is still like steeped in that moment i i like that for I mean, it sounds so in light of the world that we live in today and, and the events and whatnot. It's it's a loaded word, but like that trauma <laughs> uh, has has hovered over Star Wars ever since. Yeah, and we're we're gonna get there. Um, but I still I kind of want to hang out a little bit in the the before time uh, for a bit. Sure, sure. So sure. yeah, so so we get. We get the trailer, we get the Duel of the Fates video, and there, then we also get what amuses me to this day. We get the equivalent of the 90s comics collector um, boom, if you will, in the products of episode one. Yeah. Because I remember the product launch was a huge thing and that to this day for a new star wars film they do the like they do the force friday where they release all the products for the new film fine great um people were lining up outside toys r us and majority of these people from everything i saw were not parents getting these toys for their kids it was collectors and they grabbed anything they could with the episode one logo on it, mm. got it home, looked at it for a little bit, packed it up in a box and put it away saying, now, now I've got this, this great recipe. I just need to put it in the oven for 20 years. It's, and it's, then I can break it out. It's and the, sell ni- it for it, the thousands yeah. of dollars. It's the nineties comics collector. It's the speculator. Boom. The comics already went through five years earlier. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the the basic logic, I can't argue with it. I mean, someone going to say, hey, someone who is not a diehard collector, someone who's more of like a casual observer, saying, hey, you know, Star Wars toys are worth a lot of money, and there's a whole bunch of new toys come out, ergo, they're probably going to be worth a lot of money one day. And, you know, does that that statement make sense logically? Yes, kind of, but it doesn't hold up when you really start to examine collecting and what actually gives things value. So, you know, we're seeing all these things. And again, this is probably like, this is one of those last big events 
before spoiler culture kind of really became a thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just cause like there were so many things that we saw, we had no idea what it was. Like we would see a battle droid and we're like, what is this thing going to be? We would see like, you know, we would see Darth Maul and obviously we'll get into Darth Maul later, but like we just have visual of that, that double lightsaber and the, the face and the look and just not knowing what that character is going to be. Well, that's about, yeah, it's something I, I kind of miss. You know, the not knowing going into it now, we get so many damn trailers. You're you're the one you're you're a much stronger person than I am in this respect. You will watch one, maybe two trailers of film you want to see, and then you are on blackout till that film comes out. I yeah, I'd like to have a pure uh, the purest experience that I can. Right. Because I, I want um, I want the movie to reveal itself to me as it is constructed to do and i don't like to go into it knowing too much about it exactly we get nowadays we get like we get the teaser we get the first full trailer second full trailer third full trailer whole bunch of tv spots yeah, the, yeah. the porn trailers that show like you know three seconds that wasn't in the domestic trailer yep. and there's just, there's just so much stuff now well, we live in a media saturated world now we do. Um, so, so now we're we're kind of getting to that point of the the actual uh, viewing of the film. Now, I was working in a theater at the time this movie came out, and a bunch of us, um, actually uh, Kyle Eilinger, who had sent us that question earlier, who I was working in the theater with, we all essentially got the job in the theater because we knew this film was eventually coming, and we wanted to see it for free. So, <laughs> in genius. <laughs> In, yeah, really. In the theaters at the time, you would get a film, like film came out Friday, you would get the actual film like Tuesday or Wednesday to splice the reels together. Uh, sometimes there would be like a special advanced screening, whatnot. But it was really cool because you would get like at, after the theater closes down, you know, the management would, you know, spool up the new movie and show it for the employees. And we could see it like two or three days before it came out. And that was one of the best parts of having the job. And we were all looking forward to that for Star Wars. Because we knew it was going to happen. We knew we were going to get to see this thing um, before anyone else. And then some moronic theater in God knows where decides to their friends are going to start selling tickets to their other friends. For the employees to preview Star Wars, or get, somehow gets back to Lucasfilm. Lucasfilm says, "Do not screen this film beforehand. If you do, you will lose it for the entirety of its run." <laughs> so here I am, lined up on opening night. Uh, my hair is glorious down to my shoulders. Uh, <laughs> I've got the I've got the top center ponytail with the rest of it hanging down in the back. Uh, kind of like, you know, not unlike Qui-Gon Jinn in this film. Um, I've got my my New Age creation tie-dye Empire Strikes Back Yoda shirt on. Um, I'm pretty sure the picture is on my Facebook profile if you want to check it out. And I am standing in line. Kyle and his girlfriend are standing with me. 
Kyle was listening to the Sabres playoff game on his Walkman because this was the Stanley Cup year. Don't forget. Oh God, I never, I didn't put that together. Wow, it was, yeah. And so he's giving me updates on the game. We walk in the Tough theater. Year. We go to. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> what, oh was, man, ninety nine. Traumatic year. Twenty twenty is nothing on nineteen ninety nine for Buffalonians. <laughs> um so we walk in the theater, we ask our manager, hey, where do you want the line starting? We were the first ones in line. So we get in, midnight screening and whatnot. Thank God they don't do those anymore. Um and we watched it. And now we're at the point where you were discussing earlier where the phenomena of watching it and observing it and taking and digesting it happened. And I remember specifically, we all came out of the film and we were going nuts over it. Mm. We loved it. Now, because we worked at a theater, and for episode one, the theater wanted to get as many screenings in as possible. So there was constant midnight screenings, 1 a.m. screenings, and 1.30 a.m. screenings. Well, you know, the midnight screen starts, and then the concession stand where we all work closes down 45 minutes later. Um, they didn't have the concession stand open for the 1 o'clock and 1.30 screen. So... It takes about 20 minutes, a half hour to close down a concession stand. You're a bunch of, of you know, teenagers, college students with not a ton of money to your name. Got to work the next morning or whatnot. What do you do? You go in the theater and you watch Star Wars again. Drew, I've seen episode one in the theaters 12 times. Oof. 12 times. Mm-hmm. And... I we I think collectively as a fan base, I mean, yes, there are those fans who didn't like it from the get-go, but I think the majority of us, like you said, I think because we were so starved for new Star Wars and that we got to have this experience, this 1977-esque experience of, of seeing this film for the first time with everyone else. No one had ever seen it before. And we got to collectively share that as an audience. We didn't want that to be a bad experience. So I think for the most part of the fandom, for people who saw it, it was a good experience. And to this day for me, I will say the, the first viewing of star Wars is, of episode one was a great fun experience. Cause it wasn't just about the movie itself. It was about the experience as a whole. But then as you were saying, the brain starts to work. <laughs> you start to process which you're seeing. And then all starts to crumble. Yeah. So I, I think it's safe to say that neither one of us think this movie is good. No. 
No, it's not. Um, look, you, 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 you told me that you don't want to just spend time poo-pooing this movie. So, I, and I, 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 I understand, and I don't want to necessarily do that either. But man, I watched this movie, and for whatever reason, I felt like I had to take notes as I was doing so. So I have notes, and as I'm looking at them now. Like, it's just, it's mostly questions (laughs) that I'm asking. And the fact that I have to ask these questions is just like, what is this thing I am watching? Who is this for? And I'll go through some of these questions. We're not going to go, you know, plot by plot point or whatever. It's just not going to, it's not worth the time. But I think the big picture... And the big conclusion that I came to, um, and I'm sure others have already come to this, but here we are talking about it, so this is where I'm going to get to talk about it. The, the thing that is very clear to me is, and it's, it's obvious in hindsight, but watching episode one, it all crystallized for me. The George Lucas... Uh, either didn't understand, and I've said this before, either he didn't understand his own creation and why people loved it so much, or he did and didn't care and wanted to make a movie for a new generation of kids. Now, that is not an indefensible position for him to maybe have taken in making this movie to make it for a new generation of kids. But that also belies either a misunderstanding or a disregard for the rabid fan base that made the hype for this movie to exist in the first place a thing. And that is just bizarre and indefensible. Either he knew that there was a fan base of people who grew up with the original trilogy and held it in such high regard and were anticipating episode one with every fiber of their being. Either he knew that and didn't care or he didn't know that at all and and had no idea that this new movie would be so divisive to those people. Either way, it's a massive, massive failing on his part. I, I think, I mean, I... Lucas has always maintained that the Star Wars films are for kids. Okay, and let me... He is not wrong. Uh, he's, not, um, he's not right either, though. These films contain dismemberment, decapitation, murder, uh, you know, <laughs> these are not just, well, I mean, come so on. So does Bambi. I mean, there's, what? there's adult themes in, in pretty much any, uh, these aren't, kids. Carl, these aren't, these aren't themes. These, these are people getting their heads lobbed off <laughs> on film. Oh, I know. And like, you know, dude, you know, for kids. When we have this 
lengthy scene of political dialogue in episode one. And we have discussion of trade route taxation in the crawl. You know, for kids. Like, I'm sorry, but George saying that is just, that's, that's, again, it's either a cop-out answer to, 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 you know, deflect criticism or he's that out of touch. And I would argue he's, he's out of touch. I would, I would say that episodes one, two, and three, uh, represent two things. They represent a desire to push movie making technology forward, which George has always strived to do. Sure. And sure. They, and these films achieve that despite their quality. They are, as far as technological achievements, uh, they, yeah, they I stand, won't. they stand on their merits of what they achieved and they, we have a lot of what we have today because of these films. That's fair. Uh, they're, so they're made from a desire to push movie-making technology forward. They're also examples of when storytelling and filmmaking is left to the dictation of one and not a community of creators. Because every film, regardless, uh, every film is not just the sum of the actors, not just the sum of the directors, not just the sum of the writers. It's the sum of a community of creators who come together to make a film, collaborating um, and making uh, you know decisions and compromises and understanding with each other against to move towards a single unified as best as possible vision. And on the original DVD release of the Phantom Menace, there is a fantastic documentary chronicling the making of this film. I'm really disappointed that they've never included it on any of the subsequent DVD releases and had I known they were not going to do that, I never would have gotten rid of my original um, episode one DVD. Mm. And you could just see that George is just going through and making these decisions and nobody is telling him no. I, I now, and, and it's well documented that on, on Star Wars, not only were there people telling him no, but there were other people helping to shape the story and create yep. the story we all know and love. Yep. And with Empire and Jedi, it's the same thing. And it's like any any creator who has created something that we love, it's not always 100% them. Another example is Stan Lee. We love Stan Lee, Drew. Yes. We love Stan Lee so much. We love his creations, what he's contributed to, the things we love. But we cannot by any means say it was Stan and Stan alone. No. Because it it was not. No. No. Jack Kirby, John Romita, uh, Larry Lieber. The list list goes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And so episodes one, two, and three just are, it's the George show. Yeah. And it does. Exactly. When you don't have someone to put you in check, 
to go over and proofread your work, you get something like that. It's a lot of people afraid to tell him no. I, I hate to I hate to stump for someone that does not need me to stump for it. And at this point, it's almost the cliche to say it. But like, dude, watch the Red Letter Media Plinket review of episode one. And I know that it's it's, it's almost cliche to say that now because that thing has been. It, it's been viewed so many times, <laughs> and rightfully so. It's it's it is a amazing uh, analysis of this film and how it got made and how it ended up the way it ended up. And like I've seen those clips of that documentary, and they included them in that Red Letter Media review, and it's just like, wow, the it's every person interacting with George looks terrified of George. They're afraid to tell him no, and like. There's a great part of what there's a they filmed Rick McCallum, uh, you know, producer, executive producer, or whatever. Right. They sh- they have a footage they have footage of him watching episode one in a you know in a screening, and he just looks horrified. He looks like a deer in headlights, as if to say like, "What the hell is this? And how am I supposed to sell this? <laughs> like, it it's." It's just incredible, and yeah, it's just a it's a it is a result of like you said, no one telling him no. Like George, this is a bad idea. We got to do this, and then adding to that, the comfort of studio filmmaking, green screens, no external elements in play, no restrictions, controlled environments. It just leads to a sterile, boring, clinical, execution-based style, you know? Um, This is a small thing um, that I noticed. And because, you know, Jim, our friend Jim, uh, posted a comment on my musing on watching the film last night. And he said... It it stinks because it's all CGI and green screen. And and that's partially true. But, I mean... A, a, a small part of that is that it it's green screen and you know all CGI. Yes, but so are most movies nowadays. The Marvel films are you know largely built in CGI nowadays. But the difference is they're well acted, they're well executed, they're well written, they're well directed, and somehow it works because they have competent people who know how to tell a story behind it. George is famously not a great writer and not, and frankly, not a great director with actors anyway. Um. So, you know, again, it's not strictly because of the green screen. It's one but a little thing I noticed when I was watching episode one, and I'm curious to see if this will play out in two and three, even though I don't want to watch two and three after watching this. <laughs> um, no one really speaks above a certain threshold in this movie. Everyone's voice is kind of at a speaking voice. No one yells very loudly. No one whispers. It's all just very flat dialogue, one level, one tone for the whole film. And I wonder yeah, if that's because they're just in a they're just in a studio. They're just, you know, they're they're reacting to nothing. They're reacting to a green screen. There's just no there's just nothing there. It's so weird. It's just a little thing I noticed and I, like about I don't know, an hour into the flick, I'm like, no one's really talking very loudly or very, or very quietly. Everything's kind of here. 
<laughs> at this level. Right. I'm making a line with my hand right now. It's just like everything's here. Doesn't go up, doesn't go down, but it's here. Right. And and that is in line with everything we've ever heard about how Lucas directs. He is I've always said that George Lucas is a great storyteller. He is not a good director. Yeah. Um, it's like if anytime you see an interview with like Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, I'm actually reading right now I am C three PO, the inside story, uh that was written by Anthony Daniels. Mm-hmm. And it's stuff's in there, like George's direction is uh due to gun faster, slower, that he doesn't give any direction. And, like, when you look at the talent that he has on the screen in these films, you know, Natalie Portman, uh, um, Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson McGregor, uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Um, I will say um, Hayden Christensen, because I've seen Hayden Christensen and other things, and he's been really good in that. Um and you see this talent and you're accustomed to the quality of performances that this talent is used to giving. And the fact that they're so monotone and muted in this, I mean, that is, that's gotta be director. Yeah. At they're- one point. You guys say, and he's, and yeah, I'll agree with you. George is, George is not a good director. I personally think he is a good storyteller. Um, and he is a, a revolutionary force in the making and viewing of films. I don't think that can be argued at all. No, no, I'll, I'll um, give him that. I'll give him all the accolades on a technical yeah. aspect. But man, <laughs> uh, he he does not. He does this. He's a poor writer and he's a poor director. <laughs> so, okay, here's here's something I want to bring. Like in the. In our previous three episodes, we have um, we've said you know we've looked at the special editions and we've said what would you add, what would you subtract. So here's what we're going to do for these films. Okay, how would you fix it? And oh, here's God. the here's the caveat: you have to keep the core structure. You can't completely throw everything out. You have to keep the core structure of the film but make it better i oh god i i carl i can't i can't it's just so dumb i have a list of questions it doesn't it it none of this makes any sense it's just it, it's just it's just so stupid and I, I didn't say you had to make a good film oh god make it better Look, you're this at, is something that I've asked myself numerous times throughout the year. So I, I, I have my list. You, you go ahead with yours. Uh, all I have is a list of questions. As a, it's stream of consciousness as I'm watching this film, and I, I, I don't know why these decisions were made, and what, why should I care, and why, why does any of this make any sense at all? Like, okay, just, just diving into the film. So in the crawl, we're told that the the Supreme Chancellor sends out secret ambassadors. He secretly dispatches the Jedi to defuse this situation. If it's such a secret, how come the ambassador, how come the Trade Federation rather, knew that the Jedi were coming or knew that the ambassadors were coming? I guess it wasn't a secret, now was it? Um, my next note is I hate Obi Wan's hair. Ah, well, you know, there's that. 
meanwhile, in the in the lore of the Jedi, Guardians of Peace and, and Justice in the Old Republic, as you'll as we've been famously told, correct? Uh, the racist Nemoidians, by the way, they are racist. Um, they're they're terrified of the Jedi. They're like, I'm not going in there with the Jedi. We're not going to survive this. Dude, it makes the Jedi out to sound like they're there's like like psychopathic killers or something, as opposed to like you know guardians of peace and justice. No, no, it sounds like they're death dealers. To be honest with you, um, uh, my next question is what what's with Amadala's accent and voice? Is she like Madonna when she turned British in the nineties? <laughs> I think that's a valid complaint, actually. Like, what's what's the deal with that? Uh, anyway, so Naboo planet by the way uh they have no army of any kind of any kind to take on this this invasion like what that doesn't make sense but okay and then it's not it's not unfounded in science fiction worlds with no military star trek uh, went into that numerous times all right well let me continue Based on what I've seen of of these of these battle droids, um, they could be taken out by a stiff breeze. Uh, so why why are like all the pilots and security dudes on Naboo scared of these things? <laughs> what, okay, so, so what the now hell we're kind of going on here. Now, now we're kind of straying into a territory I didn't want us to go. In a way. I just I, kind of nitpicking apart little things. I'm just asking in a in a broader sense. Oh God, I, I I'm looking at it's just it's all I have are questions. Okay, a broad sense. Let me try and try. I'll try to to make this better. Number one. We need a better, uh, oh God, we need a better explanation of, of what is happening and why we should care about it. What is Naboo? What is it trading? Why does this blockade matter in the slightest? What is the Trade Federation? Why should I care? I don't know. The movie doesn't tell me. So let's, let's add some stakes there. If that means adding some human elements to show me how this blockade is going to affect people, then please show me that. Because from what I see, Naboo is a lush, gorgeous planet. And if there is suffering unto its people from this stupid invasion by dumb robots, I don't see it. Everyone looks pretty much okay. <laughs> so, whatever. Um... So yeah, let's let's show me the stakes, please, and why any of this matters, because I don't know why. Obvious point. Um, can we not have Anakin be a little kid? Can we have him be like, you know, maybe Luke's age? So that that's, that's the first thing on my list. He needs to be like ten years older than what he is. And then and then the, the scenes with Padme are not as cringy. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all to me that she would eventually fall for this guy. <laughs> I don't Yeah. Like I I and the whole thing about, you know, when we go back to Empire and I know there's a huge problem with these films and how they try to how they just don't line up canonically with the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. But you go back you go back to Empire like, you know, focusing on Luke being too old to begin the training and Jedi's have to begin training very, very young. And they're saying in the council scene, they're saying Anakin is too old to begin training. Like and, then in the next, <laughs> in the next film, 
we see younglings that are training, and they're roughly the same age as Anakin was. Huh? So, I yeah, know. I think definitely you age Anakin up. Uh, canonically, Padme at this point is 14 years old, so Anakin should be at least between 12 and 14. Oh, I haven't. I, I have some fun. That no, makes sorry. him more believable as a pilot as well, an eraser. Yeah, that dude. Don't get me started on all that. He like, oh god, what was going on with that? Oh, he's just—he's a great pilot. He's a great driver. Like, no, he's not. He's a child. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So <sighs> here's here's my list. Um, age up, Anakin. Do that. Uh, you change Jar Jar's voice. It would help. The character serves a purpose. He is a POV character. He is kind of the from the, in some ways, from the audience perspective on this. And his dialogue, for most part, is fine. Mm. But I think you just you change that voice and just like give him a different voice and i think you eliminated like 90 percent of what makes that character flawed um he's he's, think, he's annoying and, I, and and stupid and that is a huge problem <laughs> the, yeah the, and the, the, a lot of that comes from the voice and the the way the dialogue is spoken yes kind of that kind of does that so i think if you change that voice you know you still have ahmed best play the role just have him do a different performance um i think that that goes a long way of helping that character um and then i think lastly as much as i enjoy the character uh i think you eliminate the character of of qui-gon yeah, and you have to just be. He certainly. I'll um, be honest. I think I think is like one of the main, one of the key. I mean, obviously, there's tons of problems in this trilogy, but like one of the key problems is like one is so separated from two that it's it, yeah. just like, like yeah, you can say you're introducing us to these characters, but. One of the characters you're introducing us, you're going to kill. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. The other, the other two characters, we're not going to, or there are three characters we're not going to see again until ten years later. I've got. They're a, not going to be the same characters. Yeah. One, one of my notes is literally Qui Gon is completely pointless. He has no he purpose. And it's it's unfortunate because I like the character. I like how he's portrayed. I like the ideas he kind of forwarded. Um, but like this one of the foundations of the story needs to be the relationship between Anakin and Obi-Wan. And, and we don't get you, that. There is none. You don't get into that until episode two. Yeah. And even then we're told more than we see. Right. And so get rid of, you know, make Obi-Wan the, the Qui-Gon part and, you know, just kind of go from there. So those are kind of like my key, you know, if you're going to keep no, the yeah, structure, I, I hear you. I hear you. I still, um, I still insist that the 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 Jedi Order and the Council and all of that formal stuff stinks, and it makes them out to be just completely stiff, 
it's just terrible. I, I like in in this film. Even in this film, it, it sucks. It's not. It's not great in the grand scale of the story of all three films and what was being told here. Because I've always said, episode one, two, and three are telling a good story. It's just with bad execution. And I like, like, They're just, Lucas did with the Jedi Order what, like, he flipped a, a different way we were expecting it to be. And we can't, like, I feel like we can't chastise Lucas for doing that in these films and then praise Johnson for doing it in, in Last Jedi. Which, spoilers, folks, we love Last Jedi, and there's going to be a lot of but, praise. But Last episode. Jedi is a reaction to this, in a way. Like, he, if he, he, inherited, he inherited the fact that the Jedi let the Sith do whatever. Like, he had to, he had to utilize that, because that's a canon plot point. I think that the point, that the thing is, though, is the way Lucas presents this council. It's just ineffectual douches sitting in a circle. Oh, by the way, one of my notes. People love sitting in circles in this movie. My God. The, count, take a shot every time you see a group of people sitting in a circle. You're going to have yourself a night. I mean, it's, it's just an efficient way of meeting. Uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, just... Amadala's um, having a meeting with her with her people. We're talking about the invasion. They're all sitting in a circle. Uh, the Gungans are talking to Obi Wan and, and Qui Gon. They're sitting in a circle. The Jedi Council sitting in a circle. It's like, oh my god, dude! <laughs> like George did not want to like do anything on this shoot. Just okay, just sit in the circle and I'll film camera one, camera two, camera one, camera two, camera one, <laughs> camera two. Oh my god. You want, do you want to be sitting at a table all out the Last Supper, just looking down at each other? I, dude, dude. Anyway, anyway. There, there's uh, not a, there's not a long table in this film. <laughs> it's all circles. <laughs> it's all circles. Uh, but the Jedi, the Jedi Council, even the dialogue, like it's it starts to become. I I noticed it in this movie, and I know that there's you know. There is such a thing as, as callbacks and wink winks, but there are lines of dialogue in this movie that just reek of desperation of George trying to make us feel a connection to the original trilogy that, that like there are lines of dialogue pulled in from the original into new context here where it's just like, ugh, God, stop, just stop it. I, I always told you I had a problem with that line in empire not a problem not a problem with the line in empire but how it's been interpreted in these prequels with with yoda saying my own counsel will i keep on who is to be trained and again i always interpreted that to mean i'll decide who is to be trained i'm you know not you me i'll don't tell me you'll be one i'll decide but no we have taken that literally and put it into a circular ineffectual council of just the worst stupid people um whatever and oh and, and and yoda says in a line the council will decide or the council will our own council will we keep on who is to be he said something like that and i was just like oh god you're 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 pillaging the good movies into your film just to try and justify your movie and it it's not working it's not working anyway i digress um the whole pod racing thing now look, 
that sequence is actually kind of kinetically like a, a fun sequence, but um, the stakes of it are insanely dumb. Like none of that made the setup to that made no sense at all. Like Qui Gon has this ever increasing weird wager with Watto, another racist character, by the way. Uh, like, did that need to be so convoluted and, and weird and complicated? Like, what what the hell is going on and why? Uh, <laughs> this is really complicated. Let's let's simplify all of this. The slave trade on on Tatooine. Like, did we need that whole subplot put in there? I, eh, that could go. That I, I mean, it just, woof. Um, I, let's let's completely remove this idea that uh, Anakin built C three PO. Can I? We, I don't think words can properly state how stupid that is. That yeah, that almost this... goes without saying. R two D two in this at all? C three PO in this at all? They have no place here, especially knowing what we know about them in hindsight. I mean, this, um, we've talked about this before, and this is the first real example, the beginning of a problem that has uh, kind of carried out throughout a lot of things that we really enjoy. It's the idea that everything has to be connected. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this this trilogy has a lot of that, and rarely is it done very well um but oh question sure hang on i i I, it's one of my notes i believe let me try and find it um oh boy i have some notes about the duel we'll talk about the duel because we we have to talk about the duel oh okay um the 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 (laughs) <laughs> my notes are great here no no one looks like they want to be in this movie <laughs> oh man by, by all means sir feel free to post your notes on the the facebook page i, sh- I, I will you know what that's a great idea i will i will post my notes i will copy and paste my notes verbatim on, on the facebook page um like uh, oh okay going back to Empire Strikes Back is the best and worst thing to happen to Star Wars. Going back to that. And the Vader is Luke's father. Specifically. Um, George's, and and we talked about it in our last episode about Return of the Jedi, how because Empire had this big twist, he felt the need to continually do that in every Star Wars movie. So in Jedi, we had the twist that Leia was Luke's sister which I think we can agree is a poor choice. We, we accept it, but we, come on, like that makes no sense, but it is what it is. We got to take it. Um, episode one continues that stupid, stupid twist for the sake of a twist thing. So in this movie though, it's much more casual and, and, and dumber because it doesn't have any impact at all. And that is why what is the deal with these, with Amidala and and the handmaidens and their decoys and all this stuff? Now look, hang on, before you answer, I will concede that a queen having decoys for security purposes 
is maybe a smart move, although I'd argue in this otherwise peaceful society, is she that worried about constant assassination that she has to have these decoys in her place to, you know, whatever? Uh, Okay, whatever. Moving on. But where it gets dumb is in the reveal and when it happens. The reveal happens when they go to they go back to Naboo and she is making the case to Boss Nass, the 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 fish people, what are they called? The 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 Gungans, sorry. Uh and she has her decoy in the full queen regalia making an appeal to Boss Nass. Now this is dumb. Here's why it's stupid, because here's where Amidala, Padme, or whatever, reveals herself to be, like, the actual queen, and we're supposed to act shocked because we thought it was just a handmaiden or whatever. But it's dumb, and here's why. Because in that scene, what difference does it make to Boss Nass if it's the decoy or the queen begging for help? He doesn't know the difference. It's not a shock to him. It makes no difference to him whatsoever. But George felt like he had, he needed a little twist there for the audience, so he does the little Amidala Padme move so that we're supposed to go, oh, she's the queen. But effectively, in the movie, it really has no consequence. Like, Boss Nass doesn't know or care. And if anything, it's just another reason to distrust these people that he has no reason to trust anyway because they clearly are, you know, con artists (laughs) anyway little thing like that little twist that didn't need to be there i'd take that out too okay um (laughs) sorry this is just a movie full of i'm posting these notes i I promise i'll take out all the swear words and stuff (laughs) (laughs) yes um so we've kind of i mean that's like you said, there's a ton of stuff we could kind of really go over here. Um, Do you want good things? Sure. Give me good stuff. Good stuff. Um, I guess Darth Maul's cool. They shouldn't have killed him. He should have stuck around. Um, I don't know if, again, Lucas just not understanding what he had on his hands. Uh, you had a really cool, interesting, visually, char- you know, a very unique character. Uh, and then you offed him unceremoniously, even. You, you probably should have kept him around. Could have built him up into something that could have paid off in a in a trilogy. But nope, he's got to go. So yeah, Darth Maul's cool, albeit you know a little overly flashy and and whatnot. But again, we can you know, it's cool. It works. Uh, the sound design is tremendous. Um, is it Ben Burt who does the sound design for Star Wars? Yes. Yes. Uh, that man, uh, even even in this film, his his sound design is stellar. And um, believe it or not, uh, a lot of these effects, not all of them, there's a lot of bad effects, but um, a lot of it actually holds up pretty well. I mean, a lot of it's a cartoon, but some of it's convincing. That's that's my um believe it or not, a lot of the scenes where the, 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 the Jedi are interacting with the stupid robots, um are it looks pretty good. Good enough. For ninety nine yeah. especially. It it holds up pretty well. 
So I think the last thing uh, we'll talk about because we're running kind of long here. Before yeah, we get yeah. Out of here. Yeah. Sorry about that, it, folks. It, no, it's okay. Um, you mentioned the the duel. Yes. Um, which I have. No, go on. Sorry. Which, so obviously we have uh, duels in the original trilogy. Mm-hmm. And we discussed, like, with in episode one, the duel between Vader and Obi-Wan, um, how that's been kind of reinterpreted by a fan film. We've got the uh, duels between, you know, Luke and Vader in Empire and Luke and Vader in Jedi. Mm-hmm. And I, I was reading over, like, the, the comments from your posts. Yes. And the concept of uh substance over style and you're not it's not wrong but it's it's right for i don't think the reasons that you intended to be like the substance and of the the emotional driver of the duels in the original trilogy is the history and the emotional connections the characters share Anakin, Obi-Wan, once best friends, now bitter enemies. There's that emotional connection there. Uh, Luke and Vader, uh, Vader knowing that he is fighting his son. Luke trying to save his friends. And then in Jedi, Vader and Luke again, both knowing who they truly are to each other. Luke trying so desperately to pull his father back to the light side. Those three have that emotional substance built into them. Whereas the duel in Phantom Menace, I will agree, does not have that emotional substance. But I will also say, one, it shouldn't have because these two characters, these three characters don't know each other. They simply know they are Jedi, they are Sith, they are my enemy. You know, they stand an obstacle of me achieving my goals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as far as like the substance of how the the fight is structured, I mean, and, and you and I have had this discussion before, where these are where the, these two uh, forms of combat are at their absolute height. So it has, I think, it has to have that style to it. I'm okay with. They're not being like you see. There's the the few times in this film where the actors actually do uh, emit emotion is when Qui Gon is cut down and McGregor is showing Obi Wan giving into anger, which helps him beat Maul. I that's one interpretation of it, I suppose. Uh, the fact that he showed any emotion at all is, I guess, a step, but. The, of the of the duels in the prequels, this is the best one. Um, partially, partially for the reasons you said. It is. It is. Don't even give me the Obi-Wan Anakin one because that's overwrought nonsense. It's just fan wank for 20 minutes. It goes on too long and it's just it's just stupid. Um, this one is, is cool for the reasons actually that you stated. Like, you know, these guys don't know each other and we get this kind of like unprecedented duel and especially with the fact that Maul's style is completely different than anything we have seen before so therefore it has a unique quality to it but 
and and I even say like you know Darth Maul is is pretty cool. I would I would like to have maybe seen him stick around to explore that more, but we don't get that unfortunately. But I do have questions about though in this though. Um, where where in what where in the in the in the castle of Naboo is this duel even taking place? What is this facility that they're in? What is this? It's the basement. <laughs> okay. That's all. I, I just don't get it. Like, what is this thing? Besides the fact that they decided, George decided they needed a, to duel in some really elaborate yet pseudo influenced by Empire Strikes Back uh, place. I, I don't. I don't. I, I don't think he thought it through past that. <laughs> it's, it's the basement. Okay, I'll I'll allow it. Um, there's, there's some dusty boxes in the corner of the duels. I think this is the best one, mostly because of Ray Park and his style and the dual bladed saber and him taking on two, you know, both Obi Wan and Qui Gon, and even the subtle uh, physical. Um, divide which those force field things like i don't understand what they do or why they're there but it does add for, it, it did make for an interesting dramatic uh component to that to that duel um so there's that I'll, I'll give i'll give credit there that that was interesting it added it added a little dynamic to it to the whole to the proceedings um but yeah i don't i don't like that darth maul was killed off so unceremoniously uh it just seemed rather I don't know it's a waste it's a waste really um and if if there was some kind of point Lucas was trying to make over the course of three films about high ground it 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 doesn't make a lot of sense because I mean Obi-Wan didn't have the high ground but he won (laughs) I don't know I don't get it I guess you could say that because he killed uh Darth Maul that way he knew what to expect ah I see oh I see what you did there George that okay gotcha eh well he got better yes Darth Maul does get better as we find out in Solo canonically so yes anyway but but we'll never know what happens after that really unless he shows up in uh, uh, Mando which he might by the way so we'll see I, I would not be opposed to him? Well, no, he's dead by time Mando happens. Oh, really? That's kind of a bummer. Yeah. He well, dies before um, episode four. That's right. I oh, I've, I've, see, I've seen the clip of uh, the, the cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I yeah, age everybody up, um, make the stakes a hell of a lot clearer, um, and. Uh, I mean that's those sound like small changes, but they're actually pretty big, unfortunately. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. So yeah, yeah. I I I, I hated this, Carl. <laughs> well, and and like uh, the worst part is, I know two is worse. So now I have to. I have to. I really have to. Yeah. Prep two, myself for for what I have to endure. Yeah. Um, but all right, yeah, so that was our, uh, stroll down Phantom memory lane. 
Uh, I have other thoughts and stuff, but I guess we'll have to maybe maybe we'll have to limit that to uh, send us your, yeah, well, send us your questions, send us your feedback. Yeah. If you have, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. We're, uh, we'll continue this we're conversation. Pretty long here. Of, of all the films, I think this one would would go to, at this point would be the longest one. Well, in fairness, uh, we talked about a lot of stuff before we got to the movie, but anyway, yeah, we did. Uh, so, okay, dear listeners, uh, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, it's, we, we love that you guys tune in and we love the, uh, the outreach of, you know, that's some kind words said to us about how, you know, we're helping out during this the whole quarantine thing. Um, I'm not sure how true or whatnot that may be for, for those of you who do feel we are helping. We definitely appreciate that. And, you know, we're helping ourselves doing this just as much as, as we're helping you guys. Um, and we appreciate you stopping by as always. So if you would like to send any questions or comments to our show, uh, you can do so at the following locations. You can follow us on Twitter at devils do pod. You can go to facebook.com slash devils do pod, like our page. You can email us at the devils do pod at gmail.com, or you can find all these resources available to you on our website, the devil's do podcast.com drew that being said any closing notes oh god no i think we've we've said all we can say um thanks for sticking with, with us for this uh lengthy discussion um but i you know look let's continue the conversation if you want to on on our facebook page or, or email or whatnot and you know yeah fun Yes, I look forward to seeing your notes. I, I yeah, <laughs> my notes. <laughs> <laughs> I almost got to watch you just photograph them and put them on because I, I, want, I want to see the emotion in the writing, just like you know. Well, they're not handwritten; they're typed. But oh, there's no truth in that art. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, folks. We appreciate you joining us. Uh, have a good couple weeks. We'll see you back here for Attack of the Clones. And as always, may the force be with you.